We are so glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much in you and through you, and we would love to hear about it. Would you send us an email at shannon at hectorfirst.com to tell us your story? You can also go online and give to this ministry by going to hectorfirst.com and clicking the Give tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. morning uh, I'd call it right on time I'd call it right on time if you guys would take your Bibles with me and we're gonna kind of flip-flop a little bit all over the place it may not make sense but it'll tie all together okay first place we're gonna go to Mark chapter 4 Mark chapter 4 and then we're gonna go all the way back to the Old Testament and go to Genesis chapter 17 and first Kings chapter 19 if you guys would stand with me for the honoring of the reading of the word Mark chapter 4 starting in verse 35 says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping on the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then go to Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 15. Then God said to Abraham regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, but from now on her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many, nation, many nations, king of nations will be among her descendants. And then Abraham bowed to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? In 1 Kings chapter 19, I told you we're flipping flopping all over the place. Starting in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And he, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and then lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much. So he got up, and he ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, never underestimate what a good nap and some snacks will do, amen? Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to uh, dig into your word. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. God, your word is already anointed, but I pray that you would anoint my words. Let not a word I speak fall to the ground. Let it not fall on deaf, e deaf ears, Lord. I pray that there, that, uh, that you would help me communicate the message that you're wanting to communicate, Lord. I pray that you would just open our hearts and our ears to be receptive and to listen and to hear whatever it is that you want us to, to receive today. We love you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. So I, I love movies. I always have liked movies. I'm one of those that I like to quote movies. I quote movies to Lakin a lot, and she's like, I've never seen that movie. Uh, in case you're wondering, Lakin doesn't watch a lot of movies. Uh, so I quote TV shows, I quote movies, 
And uh, I probably quote them too much. It probably gets, I probably quote them when nobody knows that I'm quoting them. Um, but it's okay. But in every good movie, it doesn't matter the kind of movie, romance, comedy, action, whatever it is. There's always this moment in the plot where you think something terrible is going to happen. The two love interests get in this huge fight and they're going separate ways. Or the, the hero's about to die or your sports team's about to, to lose. Whatever it is, there's always this moment where it looks like everything, all hope is lost, and then something happens, and then just in the nick of time, or right on time, everything is saved, right? You see, uh, I, I can only think of three, I don't know why, I can only think of three movies when I was thinking of this. Toy Story 3, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that, I didn't like that movie, but anyways, at the, the very end, the toys are about to get burnt up to a crisp, and they're all like holding hands, and it's very sentimental, I cried, very sentimental moment, right? And then it looks like they're, all the toys are about to be melted, and then all of a sudden this crane comes and saves them out of nowhere. And in The Grinch, my all-time favorite movie, you know, at the very end, The Grinch is about to destroy the presents. And he's like, ah, oh, he's come to this realization that Christmas isn't just about presents, that it's about being with people and all this stuff. And he's about to destroy the presents. And then all of a sudden Cindy Lou Who's on the top of the big sled, and he gets like this superhuman strength, and he saves the day. In Space Jam, at the very end of the movie, when, when Michael Jordan, the, the monsters are about to, yeah, the old one, not the new one. The, the, the monsters are about to win, and Michael Jordan's going to go dunk, but then he gets stopped by the monsters, but his arm stretches because he's Michael Jordan, and he can do that in an alien movie, right? And they win the game. Every good movie, there's, a, there's this plot, this moment where it seems like everything's lost, but then right on time, something happens. Some of my favorite Bible stories also follow the same plot. Maybe it's, I, I tell the youth all the time, a very detailed or a uh, visual person. I, I see things in my mind. And maybe that's why I like these stories, because they play out like a movie in my head. Uh, we, we, I, there's an old song we used to sing um, when I was growing up. It's, he's an on, I'm not going to try and sing it for you, because I'm nervous and my voice will crack. <laughs> he's an on-time, Katie Joe can sing it for you later. He's an on-time God. It says, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He might not come when you want him, but he always shows up on time. <laughs> we serve an on-time God. But here's the thing about Bible characters. We often only highlight the, the big important parts or the, the breakthrough, the after the, the saving moments, the when Moses delivers, their, their, he leads the people of Israelite into the promised land or all, all these, these big moments. We often only highlight those parts, and we forget that they have struggles just like we do because they're human. And in doing that, we often dehumanize them, which makes our struggles look a little bit like we're lacking faith or that we are not good enough or we don't compare to these Bible characters. And somehow over the course of time, it's become to this, gotten to this place where in the church, sometimes it's not okay to say that you're not okay, and that's not the case. It's actually the opposite of what Jesus stood for. It's hard to see a, the purpose of a season that you're residing in or how a, a terrible season can be used for good. I used to play basketball in high school, and we'd have conditioning days, the worst days, where we would not put our basketball shoes, we'd have run, running shoes, and all we'd do is we'd run sprints or we'd run suicides or we'd run bleachers or we'd do defensive slides, and two hours full of just running the whole time. And in the midst of it, I hated it. I hated it. It was the worst thing, terrible moment of my life. But then when I was in the middle of a game, and I was running, and I didn't run out of breath, and I had the endurance that I needed. I can look back on those hard times of running, uh, the, the conditioning, and I could say, okay, I didn't understand why I had to do that then, but now it makes sense because I'm able to get through what I'm going through now. Sometimes it's, it's hard to see why, how a terrible thing can be turned around for good. 
God's a good God. He doesn't cause bad things to happen. A couple years ago, there was a young man in our church uh, in Searcy who uh, tragically passed away. It was in a boating accident. And nope, it, when that, something like that happens, there's not an answer as to why it happens. It's, it's just it, it, we live in a dark world. And um, I can remember his family just going through. I mean, you can imagine the kid was 16, 15, 16 years old. And uh, his, his parents, their motto through the whole thing was God is still good. And if that's not a mantra of strength, I don't know what is. But I can remember at his funeral, there were, I think, 17 teenagers that gave his, their life to the Lord at the, at the funeral. Right there, they had an altar call in the middle of the funeral. And 17 students, because this young man lost his life in the way he, that he lived his life, there were 17 students that came to know Christ through that. It doesn't make the fact that, that Ethan passed away, it doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it any, any less tragic. But you can see that how God is working in the midst of, of trials and circumstances and situations like that. It's in moments like this that our right on time God often shows up, always shows up. Number one, I'm reminded of the disciples in the storm like we read in Mark chapter 4. You see that, that, that Jesus is the one that told them to get into the boat to cross the, the sea. And Jesus is back there just taking a nap, unbothered seemingly. And the disciples say, don't you care? Have you ever had one of those moments where, like, something hectic is going on and somebody who's supposed to care is, like, super chill about it? When I was 16, me and my mom went to Spain to visit my older sister who was living there at the time. And the day before me and my mom were supposed to fly out, my backpack got stolen with my passport inside. And so me and my mom were like, ah! My mom went chasing after this guy in the middle of She didn't, like, just chasing after him, get on buses, which was very dangerous, but whatever. We're, we're freaking out. We're hectic, frantic. How are we going to get back? I had something I had to be at the very next day, a drama tour I was going on. I didn't have a passport because it just got stolen. My, my driver's license was in there, my, my, all of my money that I brought, my mom's iPad. So many things were in this backpack. And my older sister was just cool as a clam. Just, it'll be all right. It'll work out. We'll take you to the embassy. It'll be fine. And she, me and my mom were frantic. And she was like, eh, it's okay. It'll work out. Completely unbothered. She cared, but she, she knew it was going to be okay. And this is the, the picture, the scene that I see in this boat of these disciples freaking out because it, this isn't like a, a metal ton boat like we have now. This is in the Bible days. They didn't have much to go with. Just a little bitty boat, and it's taking on water. And they're in there with the guy. They're the, they, they, he, they know he's the Messiah. They know who he is. And he's completely, seemingly completely unbothered. Jesus told the disciples in the boat, the all-knowing Jesus, the all-powerful Jesus who is fully God and fully man, told them to get in the boat knowing that a storm was going to come. Can you imagine the, their thought process in that moment? Jesus, how can you lead us into this storm? I thought you were going to protect us. Maybe some of us in this room or maybe someone watching online, you're going through some things that you thought Jesus was on the boat with you, so you thought everything was going to be perfectly fine, but then you find yourself in the middle of a storm, and you start to question, Jesus, don't you care? I'm drowning. My marriage is failing. My kids are turning away from you. I'm overwhelmed with my job. I'm, I'm tired. There's so many bills. The, the medical diagnoses are, are, are piling up. But just because you're going through the storm doesn't mean that Jesus isn't with you. We're not always led away from the storm or led around it. Sometimes it's just as necessary for us to go through it. Sometimes the peace we need doesn't come from an absence of the storms. It comes in the process of going through it. 
Had Jesus never spoken the word peace, peace would have still been present on that boat. Because peace is not a circumstance, it's not a feeling, it's not a state of mind. Peace is a person, and Jesus is the prince of all peace. The one who left the splendor of heaven and took the chastisement of our peace on his shoulders. Isaiah 53, he was beaten and he was bruised and he was bled so that we could have a relationship with peace. A peace that transcends all understanding. Peace isn't just a concept, it's who Jesus is. Number two, I'm reminded of Abraham in the waiting. You see in Genesis, all through uh, several chapters in Genesis, it's a story of Abraham and God's promise to Abraham. The first promise that, that Abraham received from God, Abraham was 75 years old. And God promised that he would uh, have descendants more than the, the stars, outnumbering the stars. He was 75 and he was childless. Abraham waited for the promise of God to be fulfilled. But he also tried to fulfill the promise on his own. Sarah gave her servant Hagar to be Abraham's uh, wife, and they, they gave birth to a child named Ishmael. And so that they, thought, they thought, oh, surely this is how God's going to fulfill this promise. This, is, this right here, this, this picture, this story, nothing proves the faithfulness of God to me more than this moment right here. Because despite Abraham trying to take matters into his own hands or trying to fulfill a promise that God made on his own, God is still faithful to be the man of his word and fulfill his promises. There's nothing that we can do that can render the promise that God has given us void. Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie. And you need a promise for healing. God's word says that by his stripes we are healed. He's clinging to the promise of provision. We serve the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who is our provider. You cling to the promise of restoration. He is the mender of every broken heart. You need the promise for deliverance. He is the way in the wilderness. Whatever you need today, you can cling to the promise because our God is a promise keeper. It may not look like we think it should. Um, the, the way that he fulfills the promise or the, the way that he comes through may not always look like we think it should. We may have to wait a little bit. Um, one of my friends who lives in search, she's got two younger girls. They're 10 and 13. At the time, they were 9 and 11. And they call me Aunt Kiki. And I was taking them to a swimming pool one day. And they don't know how to swim. They, they, they just don't. And so we were going to the swimming pool, and I was like, you guys, we're going to have fun. I promise it's going to be so much fun. They were so excited to go swimming, and they wanted to jump in the deep end of this, like, 10 feet deep. Jump in the deep end, but without their life jackets or their floaties or anything. And I was like, y'all can't, no. <laughs> you got to wear your life. If you're going to jump in the deep end, you have to wear some sort of flotation device. And they got so mad. They're like, Kiki, you said you were going to, we promised you could have fun. We're going to have a blast, blah, blah, blah. They didn't understand that just because I didn't let them do what they wanted to do, it didn't mean they weren't going to have fun or that, that I didn't have their best interests at heart. Sometimes when we think the, the way that, that God should come through on our promises or the way that he should fulfill the promises doesn't always line up with what we think should happen. It doesn't always look or, or it's not always fulfilled in the way that we think it should. The fulfillment of a promise may look drastically different than what we think it should. Sometimes when we're praying for healing, this person receives their heavenly healing rather than their earthly healing. And that doesn't mean that God failed or he's not a man of his word. It just means that his ways and his, his thoughts are higher than ours. It doesn't mean that God's not working on our behalf. I'm not a super patient person. I don't like to wait. If there's a long line at a drive-thru, Taco Bell, I, I can't wait for Taco Bell. I got to get it right when I want it. I don't wait super well. But we see Abraham in this passage waiting 
for over 30, almost 30 years for a promise from God in a situation where it seemed like there was no way it could come through. He was 75 when he first received the promise. He was 100 when the, the promise was fulfilled. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting requires a strength that can only be built in the trust process. It's in the waiting that you learn to lean into who God is. And it's in the waiting that you learn to depend solely on his strength. It's in the waiting to, you, you learn to listen for his voice. And it's in the waiting you begin to encounter and to understand the personal names of who God is. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He's Jehovah Shalom, our peace. He's Jehovah Nisi, our victorious God. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He's El Roi, the God who sees me. And he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's our strong tower. He's our advocate. He's our comforter. Whatever you need, you can be found in the personal names of who God is. Waiting is not always fun, but sometimes it's necessary. There's strength that's built in the waiting. Number three, I'm reminded of Elijah in the solitude. This is 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I love the whole, first of all, it's a very good picture of discipleship, and I love discipleship. In this story, we see that, that Elijah's a prophet. He's uh, prophets are sent to the, the, the Israelites, you know, to send messages from God, you know. And, and in this story, right before what we read earlier, Elijah's on this mountaintop, and he's, he's uh, with the prophets of Baal which is a false god, and he has this really huge moment where, where he has, shows this extreme faith in God. It's kind of like a, a battle or showdown of gods <laughs> where the prophets of Baal are praying to their god, and they're asking for, for their god to burn up an, an offering. And so the, the Bible says that they're, they're cutting themselves, they're, they're, they're making a, a racket, they're doing all this stuff, and nothing happens. But it says that Elisha got up there, and he simply... He dug a trench around, uh, around the, the altar. He drenched it with water, not once, several times drenched it with water and just prayed a simple prayer. God, show them who you are. And instantly the, 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 the water, the, the altar, the, the, it was burnt up with fire. And that day proved that God was the ultimate God. He was the one true and only God. And then when the, the evil queen Jezebel, evil queen, that makes, reminds me of a kid's story. Anyways, <laughs> got wind of this. She swears that she's going to have Elijah killed for killing all of her prophets of Baal. And that's where this story in Kings chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19 picks up. Elijah is fleeing for his life. He's, he's on the run from Jezebel because he's out to kill him. And he finds himself in, 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 the, in this, this place alone. He isolates himself. He leaves his servant at one place and he goes off to a, to a mountain by himself. And he says... God, I've had enough. That phrase right there kind of makes me cringe a little bit just because when my mom would say, Mackenzie, that's enough, or I've had enough, I knew, like, I, she was at her breaking point, and I was probably about to get a whooping when I got home. Uh, if it was, especially if it was in public and it was with the look, y'all know the mom look, uh, or the wait till your daddy gets home. <laughs> one of those, I hated that one too. Every time that, that phrase was, was said, I knew that my mom was at her breaking point. And that's kind of what we see here with Elijah. Elijah's at his breaking point. He's alone. He's stuck in these ruins in, in, the, in the cave. 
And he gets so burdened down by the weight of feeling alone that his response is, just go ahead and kill me. And what's God's response? This Verse 8, it says that, that he traveled until he reached Horeb. And that word Horeb means desolate place or solitude. In the midst of Elijah's questioning, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his trial, he's led to this lonely, desolate place. And God has him sit there and wait. Not so Elijah could feel sorry for himself, quite opposite the actually. He has him sit in the solitude so that he can, so that Jesus, so that God can meet him there. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10 through 13. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, God meets him in the stillness that can only come from solitude. There's a, a lot of importance in solitude. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a connect night, I think it was, and Stacy and her, her kids were running around like it was at the end. They had cookies. They were eating co- or as great cookies. They were eating cookies and uh, running around. They're all sugared up. And I told Stacy, I said, hey, if you, if you need me to watch your kids for you so you can get out or just go sit in your car in silence, let me know. She goes, I might. <laughs> she said, so, that sounds nice, just to sit in the silence in the solitude, with no noise around me, just sitting there. <laughs> See, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Skip, if you don't mind, go ahead and put some music on for me. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude can be a gift from God. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. The enemy always has a cheap counterfeit of the things that God has to offer. Whatever it is, whatever God wants to promise you, the enemy always has a cheap counterfeit to counteract that. And it's never worth it. God often leads us to solitude. And if we're not careful where we turn our attention in the solitude, we, we can turn that into isolation. Elijah was brought to this place of solitude and had, God had him sit there. And his response is he isolated himself. He said, God, there's no one left. I'm the only one. There's no one here, just let me die. See, I, I'm, I'm very much an introvert. I know that's kind of hard to believe. I don't know, maybe it's not, I don't know. <laughs> I can be extroverted when I have to, but I recharge when I'm by myself. Like, I, I, that's, what, that's how I recharge. But too much alone time is not good for anybody. During the quarantine, I just, I just moved to Hector, and we were all quarantined, and I didn't get out much, because what's there to do in Hector? <laughs> I didn't mean that negatively. I love Hector. I hope y'all know that. (laughs) Y'all, I went through this time. It was like a quarter-life crisis because I almost bought a tractor. I don't have any. I've never ridden a tractor. I don't know how to work a tractor. I almost bought a motorcycle. 
I almost bought a four-wheeler. Or like literally all the, anytime I saw something for sale that moved, I was like, hmm, do I need one of these in my house? <laughs> and then I settled on a dog, so I just got a dog. But too much, I say that to say, too much alone time is not good for anybody. It gets you in a weird headspace. If the enemy can get you to think that you are completely and utterly alone in everything, he's gotten you to question the very character of God. And if he's gotten you to question that part of who God is, he's going to get you to question other parts of who God is. Solitude is often a season in which God purposely places us so that we can practice depending solely on his presence. Isolation is often the result when we deny allowing people into our seasons of desolation or solitude. We weren't created to do life on our own. We weren't created to, to be separated from the body of Christ. We weren't created to, to walk through our struggles and our trials by ourselves. Galatians talks about carrying each other's burdens, and it says, and this is how you fulfill the law of God. Bear each other's burdens. Sometimes God leads us to desolate places, so we have no choice but to sit still and listen. Elijah was brought into the solitude, and it wasn't in the, the loud noises. It wasn't in the, 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 the earthquake or the fire or the whatever it was. It was in, in the stillness. It was in the quiet that God met him. You may feel alone, or you may feel abandoned, or isolated, or outcast, or forgotten, but God is always faithful to show up in those seasons of desolation. Proverbs 20, 18, 24 says that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then Psalms tells us that he's near to the brokenhearted and he's near to all those who call on him. And then Matthew says, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Isaiah says that when you pass through deep waters, he's going to be with you. When we pass through the rivers, they're not going to overtake you. And you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. So here's the thing about the intensity of who God is. He's not intimidated by our questions. He's not intimidated by our doubts. He's not intimidated by our, our feelings. He's not intimidated by our I'm not okay moments. He's not intimidated by the times when we're going through a storm and we don't understand. Or he's not intimidated in the, in the waiting process. In the moments when we feel like we're drowning in the storm, God sees us and he cares and he always shows up right on time. And in the seasons of waiting, he hasn't forgotten the promise and he hasn't nulled our promise because of a mistake. He always shows up right on time. And in the places of desolation, when we feel alone and we feel outcast, he hasn't left us and he always shows up right on time. If you guys would stand. I'm not entirely sure as to why this is the direction God wanted me to go. I, I, I know that there's a reason. I know there's a purpose. And I know that, that sometimes when we walk into the church, it's easy to put on a, a mask or it's easy to, to, to pretend like we have everything together. That's, all, that's always the, the go, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Everything's great. Everything's hunky-dory. It's fantastic. I love my life. That's always the go-to. But it's okay if it's not always like that. It's okay if you're overwhelmed. It's, it, that's not intimidating to God. Our weakness does not diminish the strength of who God is. God, I thank you 
thank you that, that you are, 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 are moving. I thank you that you're speaking. Thank you that you meet us where we are, that you're an on-time God, that you show up when we need you. And not a second too early, but not a second too late. Lord, I pray that you begin to move on our hearts.